Bringing It Home with Sarah and Tanil. Sarah, hey, hey, how's it going? It's going good. Well, March is just slowly marching on out of here. It really? Is. Yeah, we're moving yeah. right along. We're hitting that year mark of when we got sent home. I tell work. you what, we're <laughs> almost at a year. Yeah, it's kind of insane. Ooh, it's crazy. And the year's been a blur. It really has. Like, I felt like it crept by that first month or so, and then, like, bam. Yeah, we hit fast forward. Yes. So, anyway, but here we are. We we're are. still going, and I know a lot of people are getting excited because uh, we're getting to the garden-ready season. Yes, spring is here. Now, do you do any gardening? Um, yes, we actually, like everyone else in America who was home for, <laughs> for <laughs> days last year, we built some raised beds. Well, aren't y'all just year. productive? Yes, so, you know, it's been fun, but we've been planning, like, getting some cold weather stuff going and all that. It's been fun. Okay, well, I'm the one who has no garden information, so I always, every year, have to call on our friend. We've got Celeste Scott with us, and she is the horticulture agent for UT in Madison County. Hi, Celeste. Well, you know, we always call you in this time of year because uh, I never know where to get started. I know. I was so glad when y'all gave me a shout out. Being on my schedule somewhere. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just tell you, I'm hearing about something called planting zones. Now, maybe the people that are experienced know what this is. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So, could you talk about planting zones? How can I find out what zone I'm in and how important is that to know? Okay. That's an excellent question, Tanil. And um, yes, yeah, so this planting zone that you're hearing about, it's a real thing. It is called <laughs> the USDA plant hardiness zone. Okay. And that is what people are referring to probably when you hear them talking about it. So for us here in Jackson, we're in zone um, 7A. They designate the zones with numbers and letters. And what it's based off of is the average annual minimum temperature. Okay. Okay. So, <clears throat> you know, last week we had lows in like five degrees. So they take that lowest temperature averages from year to year to year to year and then kind of group those and that's how they create what they call these USDA plant hardiness zones. So we're supposed to be rated here in zone 7A for temperatures between um, average low temperatures to be between zero and five degrees and I'd say we're pretty spot on because we had like eight I know some areas were at five degrees <clears throat> last week when we had our in February uh, last month yeah last month when we had our our snow event so that's pretty spot on but if you go just a little bit further west like into Memphis and um some of those other more southwestern counties of the state they are actually in 7b so they have um a few um more degrees of cushion there so they're from like a five to 10 okay. is their average minimum. So they can actually, that opens the doors for them to be able to grow a few more plants that we can't grow and also to be able to start annuals earlier than we can um, because that in turn generally bumps up the average frost date. Wow. So if I go out and start talking about we're in zone seven and all that type of thing, <laughs> I'm going to sound like I really know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you are. And people will be impressed. Oh, me me. okay. Yeah. Noted. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, I mentioned, you know, you asked me if we did any gardening and yeah. last year we, we did build some raised beds. 
So it got me thinking about people planning for garden space. You know, everybody's yard and whatever is different. So are there any recommendations for measurements to help people decide what's best for them? You know, a traditional garden, container garden, raised beds, you know, do you have some measurements that you could recommend? Yes. So actually, believe it or not, there are some um, out there for this very reason. So, and then also depending on what type of method you're using is going to kind of determine that as well. So if you are following what many gardeners refer to as a square foot gardening concept, um, they are essentially, you are packing more plants into one square foot of growing space. So if you're following that um, that theory of thinking, you're gonna be able to produce more in a more condensed area. Generally, that is employed when you have like raised bed type situations okay. where you are really controlling what the media is, the growing media, the fertilization. It requires more fertilization, obviously, because it's not you know getting nutrients from the native soil around it. So you're putting more into that soil and in turn it is giving you more produce. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Now, if we're just thinking about like numbers of plants, how many plants do we need for different things? Um, kind of a rule of thumb for plants like tomatoes and peppers, which are warm season crops that I know everybody just loves trying to grow. Um, if you're planning on just eating fresh, like right from the garden, taking it inside, cutting up some tomatoes, eating them from day to day, they really recommend like two plants per person in your okay. household. But if you're like me, like I got four people in my family, but only two of us like tomatoes, right? So I mean, that would be you know, my house gotta, too. <laughs> right? You've got to kind of throw that in there. How many people are actually going to eat? Right. Um, however, if you're going to do preserving, they bump that up and actually double it. So you're looking at four plants per person, and I might even go upwards of eight plants per person, depending on what you're trying to preserve, like. Not only do we um, can juice, but I like to preserve um, halves, tomato halves. Also like to make, you know, spaghetti sauce, pizza sauce, things like right. that. So just kind of keep in mind how many different types of things you might be planning on preserving. And obviously your numbers will go up in response to that. Um, one more thing I want to mention about space is that if you like, like I love cucumbers and squash. Those are both cucurbits and most cute most cucumbers are vining um, mm -hmm. as are let's think like watermelons and cantaloupes and those take up enormous amounts of space hmm. so if you are trying to grow your own food but you've got limited amount of space let's look for things that are bush type so a bush type cucumber um, maybe a, a more compact type of squash uh, unfortunately you're not going to be able to grow really any type of watermelon or cantaloupe in a very small space. Right. <laughs> we need to know that yeah. going in, right? <laughs> okay. So those types of crops require an enormous amounts of space to only provide maybe one or two fruits, right? Like your most watermelon plants uh, in a home garden aren't going to produce more than two or three watermelons for one plant. So that was a lot of space you gave up for not very much return. So That's a good point. Kind of keep those things yeah. in mind. 
Hmm. Now, you know, she made the, the peppers and the tomatoes sound so basic. Now, for the record, that's all I know how to grow, Celeste. Peppers <laughs> that's and wonderful. tomatoes. Okay. That's wonderful that, because that's, that's actually, tomatoes are like one of the hardest. I feel like I get the most questions about people who are concerned about their tomato plants. Well, I should probably be concerned sometimes, but, you know, that's <laughs> the only thing I have experience with. But I do want to say this. Apparently, sunlight's important. <laughs> Now, I've picked that up over the years, that sunlight's important in order for your garden to be successful. So, what kind of recommendation do you have as far as sunlight needs for a vegetable garden? Good. So, the more sun, the better. You picked up on that, and you were right. <laughs> and you're not even a gardener. I know. <laughs> so, the more sunlight that we have... Um, the better. We're really looking towards full sun type situations and when you hear folks in, in the plant business talk about full sun, they're meaning six hours or more of full direct sun during a 24-hour period, okay? So if you have less than that and you are having less than stellar results in your garden, that is probably why. So for these um, fruits and vegetables that we're growing in the garden, if it's a plant that actually has to produce a fruit, like a tomato plant, the fruit is what we harvest, that is what we eat, right? It needs that sunlight to help generate that plant to make those energies to produce that fruit. But if you have a garden site that doesn't have that much sun, but you're still interested in growing things, there are still choices for you. Many of our cool season crops or leafy greens, um, root crops, those types of plants can tolerate less sunlight and still produce the parts of the plant that we enjoy, right? So like collards, mustard greens, um, um, turnips, yeah. carrots, radishes, those types of things, even even cabbages can do well in a part sun type situation because we are harvesting either the leaf or the root and it's not actually having to produce an actual fruit. And so it takes less energy, can tolerate less sun, and they actually prefer cooler conditions. Mm -hmm. um, so they're kind of like one of my favorites because you can do them early, early in the spring which is right about now, or you can act, and then you can turn around and do them again in the, in the well, I say fall, but for us, it's really like late summer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't have much of a fall, but um, you can get two crops out of, out of those specific um, crops. So that's, yeah, we did some of that. Options. We did yeah. some spinach and different lettuces this fall. It was, it was good. Show off. It's so much better yeah. than the store. <laughs> we learned a lot though. Yeah. It's our first time and we've got some we've learned a lot. So And if you are if you're short on space, you can even just seed um, some of those leafy green crops in a container. Like mm -hmm. I don't know, just they've got old throwaway plastic, you know, tray or bowl or something like that. You can just put some soil in there, sprinkle uh, the seeds real lightly on the top, keep them moist, and um, and they'll germinate and, and just grow right there. You can harvest them and, and eat them. It doesn't have to be a big ordeal to work up a big patch of ground and go through all this. And just to grow some of your own food. That's that's a good thing to know. Yeah. Especially if you don't have the space or the desire to do all that. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So we've talked about planting your garden and once you decide what, what size, what you want to look like, container versus, you know, traditional, all that. When can we start prepping? You kind of, you know, you just kind of said and you could start now, mid-March, you know, what are some things that can be done now to get our garden ready? Okay, so if we're planning on going like raised bed routes, obviously we can do that pretty much any time, right? So construction of those, uh, whenever you've got downtime, go ahead and be ordering your soil if you are having that brought in in bulk because in the spring we tend to have a lot of rain and if you're ordering large amounts of say topsoil or compost, sometimes they can't deliver those to residential sites um, if there's been a lot of rain. Number one, because the product is super, super heavy, mm-hmm. if it's been soaked through, and then number two, they don't want to mess up your property mm. trying to get on and, right. and dump it and everything. So go ahead and, and try to get that soil ordered so that you can you know be on their list to deliver when conditions are right. Um, if you're doing more of a conventional style gardening, we always need to focus on getting rid of any vegetation that is there. So you may have had some, you know, cool season weeds pop up. If this was a area that you had in garden last year and it just laid fallow all winter, um, you want to try to clean that up. And you can do that either through um, chemical means or you can do that through tillage. But I want to caution you about tillage. Um, again, since it's generally so wet in, in early spring, we've got to be careful with tilling because if you till and your soil is too wet, it just clumps and then you end up really destroying the, the structure of your soil um, that you have in that garden plot and it just makes it very dense. It compacts the soil so your drainage isn't as good. So just don't try to work your soil until it's dry. And so sometimes that can kind of pinch your calendar. You know, if you've got a lot of things scheduled, you know, Timmy has a baseball game or whatever, but it's a dry, sunny Saturday. You might uh, need to postpone that game and go ahead and get your garden tilled while the getting is good because you will not have many opportunities to get that soil turned over. So just remember you need to get rid of any vegetation that's there and try to get your soil worked. If you get that soil worked, it's going to warm up faster. And so you'll be able to plant sooner and have tomatoes before all your neighbors. There you go. (laughs) Be the envy of everybody. So Celeste, I do know soil quality and composition. It's important in order for things to be successful at growing. And UT Extension does have a way for people to get their soil tested. Um, We've got listeners all over Tennessee and in other states, frankly. So could you talk a little bit about ways that we can get our soil tested here in Tennessee and maybe even, you know, some things that our out of state listeners could check into? Sure. So here in Tennessee, um, we use our soil lab in in Nashville. They're the soil plant and pest center here in Tennessee. And um, we send those samples in. Um, There are a few different ways that you can do it. Traditionally, people would bring their samples into a county extension office. The agents would help you fill out your forms and the office would send those into the lab to be tested and you would be mailed your results um, through the Postal Service. But now we've got a few other alternatives. You have the option of paying online. You can mail the samples in in yourself directly to the Soul Lab, and they will email you your results. And if you take this route, you're gonna get things processed, you know, about a week 
earlier mm. um, just because we're taking out a few of those middle steps. Um, so if you are, again, more options, if you are testing um, native soil, like in like the soil from the ground, right? You've gone out and pulled that from your garden. Those samples are $15 a piece to process and they give you your pH, and your existing nutrient levels. And they will also give you recommendations depending upon whatever crop you tell them that you want to grow on that. And you're wondering about your fertility in those, those types of situations, um, it's a different it's a different test that they have to run because most of the time we are filling raised beds with um, quite a bit of what we call soilless media. Um, so things other than native soil, you're using compost, you're using peat moss where you have vermiculite and lots of different ingredients that might be mixed into your raised bed um, substrate there. And so that's a different process and it takes more soil and it also costs more. So those samples are $35 a piece. You send them in to the lab just like you would regular soil samples, but it takes about a half a gallon, whereas our typical samples only take about two cups. So a few differences there. If you want a little more information on that, you can go to soillab.tennessee.edu and they will walk you through. You just go to the picture tile that says soil fertility and it steps you through all the different options. It gives you instructions on how to take proper soil samples for each situation because they're they're different for each um and i'm afraid we may not have enough time to go over both of them today that yeah that's mm-hmm. great i mean you can we, they can call any extension office too across the state and um, other states yeah yeah we would encourage them to check <laughs> yeah. with their local extension offices as well right. for their instructions of how to do this yeah. wow yeah. So we're ready to get started on our 2021 so. garden, Sarah. I know we are. We're, we're actually thinking about building one more bed. So. Gosh, overachievers <laughs> for sure. Celeste, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Yes. And in the words of Mr. Bob Marley, live the life you love. And love the life you live. Happy gardening.